Welcome to BWI Live. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. That is Nate Bauer. Sean Fitz is a very important person and had a very important phone call, so he will be joining us in just a little bit. I've always said he's the Adam Schefter of the group where he's just getting news or texting Nate. One let's, of the two things is happening. Let's not get carried away here, T. Frank. Listen, Nate, it's all about salesmanship. Just go no, with right. me. No, you're right. You're right. No, it's, I mean, this is incredible stuff. We are the most plugged in people in Penn State football and all the news flows through Fitz. I mean, I guess that's true. Or something like true. that. Yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't, uh, what, what did Franklin say last night? I won't fight a win. Like, I won't apologize <laughs> for a win. Sure. Okay. Yeah, we're going to be talking about those comments on today's show. Nate is our preeminent uh, James Franklin whisperer, and there was some not-so-subtle reading between the lines last night. Um, and then some conversation just generally about what he had to say and about uh, practice. We'll get, be getting to all of that. But, Nate, please, off the top, yep. thoughts about practice last night or about the game upcoming this weekend? Take your pick. What do you want to talk about to start the show? Yeah, we can start with practice. I, I, uh, I looked at the offense. I think... You did mostly two, right? Um, so, so certainly we're we're paying attention to Trey Wallace, right? Yep. Who was seen on the sideline, um, you know, left obviously left the game in the first half, and in the second half was seen uh, without his pads or jersey, um, you know, standing on the sideline with a sling uh, over his right arm. I want to say that's. I believe that's correct. I want to yeah. say his right arm. So I'm, I'm sure of it. it's his right arm. So, uh, so he was not there. We did not see him out with that group of receivers last night. Uh, you know, between Wednesday and James Franklin's comments on Tuesday about having no, I, I believe he said no additional information about Trey, I, right. you know, that's his, we're, that's <laughs> his way of saying not season ending and stop yeah, asking. Correct. But we're going to, we're going to, yeah. We're going to read through the hieroglyphics here and, and guess that uh, that his situation is tenuous at best going into this weekend. Yeah, not great. Uh, this, not, not great. Not great. And we can talk about the implications of that in a minute. Um, uh, the second guy, obviously, that we were looking for was Caden Wallace, mm -hmm. who also left the game in the first half, uh, did not, I, I believe, did not play at all in the second half. Uh, he was back, actually. He, mm -hmm. he was uh, out there practicing. Uh, you know, to, to what extent uh, he, he participated. Right. I mean, some, sometimes they have guys out there that yeah, you know, literally it's just like they, they put the uniform on and uh, to, to, th to throw everyone off the scent, which is fine. I, I get that. I get all yeah. of that. Let's um, also but, preface that last night was Haluba hall. So yep. there are certain limitations to what we can and can't see up close because of the way everything is structured. The offense is in front of us and they have about half the field, maybe a third of the field and the offensive skill players work on the sideline. We're allowed access to the offensive and defensive lines are on the far sideline. So if you've got a telescope, if yep. you've got uh, spy glasses or if you have just a really nice camera, which I have just an okay camera, you can see to the other side of the field. But otherwise, eyeballs, you know, it's 58, 60 yards away. So there, there's yeah. less information from Haluba Hall nights than there are from other nights. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll refer to the uh, 53 and a third, right? 53 and a third plus. Plus. Plus the sideline. Yep. Correct. Correct. So yep. there, there, there's a lot of, I mean, it, it very well could be another person in a 73 Jersey <laughs> that you just, yeah. right. But, um, but in any case, he, he was out there and, and looked okay. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and combining that with what Franklin said on Tuesday about him, not expecting, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but not expecting it to be an issue, uh, for Caden against Maryland. You know, I think that gives you a fairly good sense of, of where they stand, except for the fact that they also had they appeared to have really three right tackles. Right. I think that's a fair way to describe it. And, and again, we're, we're watching five, ten minutes of this. Yes. But uh, not only was Drew Shelton over there, but Javen Williams uh, was, was getting some work on the right side yeah. as well. That's that's been a trend. I want to say the last two weeks, maybe a little bit longer that we've seen where. We saw him intensively get a lot, especially early in the season, get a lot of instruction at left tackle, tackle from Phil Troutwine. Now, I think with the situation and just generally, they want to build some depth there and flexibility at their swing tackle position. So at this point in the year, 
get Javen some reps at right tackle, break glass in case of emergency. Yep. He seems to be the guy for left tackle in the future, but at the same time, you know, Drew Shelton's ahead of him, so if you want to get your best players on the field, at some point he has to get some exposure to right tackle. Um, but there was so much building to do from a basic standpoint that it makes sense they started him at the left side where he was comfortable and working previously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, so th those are those were really the two situations uh, for, for us to look out for. On top of that, you know, obviously there are ramifications to Trey Wallace not being out there. Uh, of which, you know, you had Keandre with Dante Cephas and Dante Cephas started a couple of games. I, I, I know uh, Franklin said that he started the Ohio State game, but. Uh, so in, ter in terms of to, to, <laughs> to read between the lines, give you a little more specificity about that. He is now officially one of the uh, one of the receivers in the 11 personnel package. So if you were to say the two starting receivers, Trey Wallace and uh, Keandre Lambert Smith. But when you go into 11 personnel, instead of another receiver, you know, Keandre going out to the boundary and bringing in a slot, they officially had Cephas as part of the starting lineup. Uh, against Ohio State, which I believe was a first for him, but I, I can't be entirely sure. So I actually, I think I, I looked back at it last night. He he actually had two starts. Uh, I want to say against Iowa okay. and the next year, Northwestern, maybe. Okay. So, um, so tech, I mean, the undercutting point is he only played like 12 reps in that Ohio state game. So, I mean, it's not okay. Technically maybe he did start, but it wasn't as though he saw extensive action right. until last week after Trey went out. So, yep. so Cephas has, has by every indication that we can see has moved his way into that starting group. And then also, I think as you noted, um, you know, it, it, it bumps everybody up, right. Is yep. it's not just Cephas that, is impacted by Trey not being there. It's now the next best option for you is Liam Clifford again in the slot and what that means for Keandre Lambert Smith. Yeah. So we'll get to all of that in just one second. We'll get into our full uh, practice review. We've done a good bit of the offense. I've got a couple other things we can talk about on the offensive side. Fitz will join us in just one moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For uh, the defensive side, but right now I need to tell you about Caldera Lab because you don't get to look like this by accident. Everything in my life is intentional or unintentionally excellent. And uh, I've been very lucky to fall into Caldera Labs. They're skin rejuvenation process these are male skincare products which is a thing guys here's here's the shocker nate skin doesn't have a gender you have to take care of it the same way the That's difference true. is this does not have um uh it, it for, well first off it doesn't have any awful products in it these are all incredibly healthy good products for you there's not a whole lot of additives and preservatives but also it's designed for men, so we, as fragile egoed men as we are, don't feel weird about using feminine products. So they're very, very nice. The beard, it's not just the sunlight coming through my window or the silver in my beard that's making it look good and shiny today. It is the conditioning oil, which um, is only for external use, Nate. I should remind you that this is only for external use. But these are awesome products. I love using the Caldera Lab products. 20% off with promo code BWI. 23 uh you go to calderalab.com use the promo code bwi23 uh to get 20 percent off which is an awesome deal 
and you can look great for fall. I was so excited. I think it was like seven or eight years ago when uh, the term lumber sexual became a thing. You know, like the that's the vibe I've had to go for my whole life with this face. So Caldera Lab help me, helping me achieve all of that. Use promo code BWI for 20% off. I'm so glad that Fitz is in the, in the uh, waiting room so he can't. I, we don't have to see his face as I say the term lumbersexual. But let's get into Penn State practice highlights. Nate, you were going to say something? Yeah, it's it's the urban lumberjack. It's you've, <laughs> you've, you've messed up what it's called. It's, it's also oh. stunning. It is okay. stunning to me that our sponsors are skincare products and not like chips or beer. <laughs> <laughs> Those would feel more appropriate, but uh, love it that Caldera Labs uh, is, is helping us out and uh, do, doing the sponsorship with the show. Hi, Fitz. Hey, buddy. <laughs> How you doing? Kind of speechless, if you're asking. Um, no, I'm great. I, I would have been on here on time, but I was shaving with my Caldera Lab products, and I was just staring at myself go. in the mirror for the last 10 minutes. So it's great. Um, no, but I, I do. we do appreciate them, and I actually was getting ready with my Caldera Lab products, and I'm happy to be here, happy to be here with Nate, happy to be here with you, happy to talk about Penn State's defense because mm -hmm. uh, that's, what we, that's what I was watching at practice last night. Yeah, uh, availability is one thing. Uh, we can get to that in a second. You, by the way, check out f all of their information, all of their insights over at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Uh, their articles last night give you all the details of their their notebooks, their observations. Uh, but what were your general observations to start us off with the defensive side of the ball? I mean, they look loose. They look like a team that, uh, you know, had a step back against Indiana. I don't think there's any question that it was probably their loosest game in terms of communication. Obviously, the big breakdown that everybody looks at. But, you know, there were a couple of ones going along, um, going out through the game where they had some some communication issues. So Manny Diaz trying to button those things up because Maryland, could, uh, you know, They've got talent in spots. This is kind of always the Maryland thing. They have talent in certain spots, and they've got a quarterback that can throw the ball, some receivers that can get some separation, and obviously, you know, communication going to be key um, and and keeping them down. But uh, yeah, I mean, you look at you look around, and obviously, availability is the number one thing that you take into account when you go into the the the, the brief time. And I had you guys on before I came on. Can't believe you didn't make a Michigan joke about uh, seeing trying to see all the way across the field. Mm. Um, that was pretty low hanging fruit and you Mystical. guys avoided it on purpose or I, I'm not sure, but no chop Robinson. Um, not a big surprise. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're hoping to get him back, but given the nature of, of the injury, like you, you don't know a timeline because there is no like set timeline on those things, but we did see a mean van over back. He of course dressed and warmed up on Saturday, did not play. Um, and, uh, I think he's probably mostly there. I wouldn't label him as fully back, but he was, uh, he was going through and doing some reps and, and doing some things that seems to be on the right track. Again, watching that injury, like getting him back at all is, is great because that when the knee goes the wrong way, that's nobody likes that, but yeah. to get him back, I think is a big deal. Penn state relied heavily on Adisa Isaac and denied in a Sutton last week. Deny was very good. Um, but you obviously want to have as much depth as possible in front of Jordan Lyons. Of course, Ryan Fisher has played as well. So getting him back at a spot where you've only, you're only looking at playing five guys, essentially, plus the freshmen. Um, I mean, any, any body in there is going to, going to help. So no chop, uh, yes to Adisa. I would say yes, mostly to Adisa. Um, and that's kind of where you're at with that. No Elliot Washington, which he was out for the game the other day. Um, yeah. and, uh, that's certainly one to watch, but that's a, that's more of a special teams, uh, special teams equation there for Elliot Washington. A uh, couple things here in the chat. Stephen Light back as always. He says, thanks for putting up with us, guys. The reason we do this, thank you, Stephen, for being here. Um, and then we have M Shive too. Uh, Mike is back. He says, for your efforts, I always appreciate you being here. He says, finally able to be here live doing expense reports. So he's talking, he's listening to us while doing something very repetitive and monotonous. Um, something that I need to remind everybody of, if you are watching the video, you're enjoying getting insights and hearing terms like lumber sexual being thrown around casually, please like the video and subscribe to Blue White Illustrated because I am an unhinged person that will not be contained. So there will be more of that in the future. I promise you that. Uh, one of the things I noticed that I wanted to get to today uh, from an offensive perspective of what Pense did is actually, Nate, we saw a new drill. 
We don't usually yeah. get to see new drills. So I don't know if this is a new <clears throat> drill to Penn State or if this is just a new one they have different in the rotation. But this is, we see them go through tackle-breaking drills where they have a certain circuit and they've got a, a helmet on a, on a stick. They've got to punch away. But here they're doing dynamic tackle breaking so James Franklin by the way looked like he was super into swinging that bag he was having a great time um but generally I like this idea of if if you're struggling and Penn State has generally been struggling to break some tackles this year switch things up because some of the stuff that they're doing maybe guys are getting used to it and it's not progressing them as much so the idea of not being able to predict where and when they're supposed to stiff arm and where and when they're supposed to tuck the ball and where they're supposed to throw the shoulder doing something different. I just thought was a creative and a good way to enhance the offense um, and, and break things up as we enter November for, for, uh, for the Penn State football team during practice. Um, we get on practice. You want to talk about James Franklin last night, uh, extended conversation about off the field things. Nate, do you want to yeah. start with that? Uh, we've got to actually, no, we're going to save that for a little bit later because that is part of the mailbag. Um, what are your thoughts on the stuff that James Franklin didn't want to talk about that he did talk about last night? The stuff that he didn't want to talk about, but uh, I mean, saving that I just gave you word salad other okay. than the stuff at the end. What stood out to you? <laughs> um, I don't know. Fitz, you chime in first. I, I have to, I have to, uh, recollect my memory on exactly what he said last night. Uh, I, I did appreciate his uh, interaction with T. Frank asking about mm -hmm. tur turnovers being pre uh, predictable. Sorry. Um, mm -hmm. And he said he wishes he could predict it. But I mean, it's a re it's a relevant point because Maryland has been susceptible, especially in the last three games to turnovers. They had two picks against Ohio State, one last week and gave up six sacks. So that's going to open up the door for a strip sack or something like that. So Maryland hasn't protected the football all that well in the last couple of weeks. But I, I see. I saw the thought. I saw I saw the hamster running up there, and I yeah. see your thought process because Penn State has been able to dictate a lot of things, um, but you know turnovers are there's a, there's a huge element of randomness to that. Um, but I think I think what you're getting at, and I think I agree with you here, is that Penn State has been able to, I guess, be so fast on the right in the right spots, like all over the field, especially that back seven, which hasn't like in the last two weeks, hasn't played at hits capabilities, but they still have got, they got the turnover from Jalen Reed last week. They've gotten their hands on the football a couple of times. Uh, KJ Winston, of course, I'm always going to bring him up uh, has been in position to, you know, get some pass breakups and things like that. Um, but I think that what you're asking here is that Maryland, the way that they spread it out, the way that they'll throw from hash to side to opposite sideline opens yeah. the door for things like that. And I think that that's, certainly an opportunity for Penn State this weekend to get their hands on the football. Um, I, I think they have the advantage up front in terms of Maryland's offensive line is like when the, it's kind of like Penn State, like when they're, they're when their first five are out there, they're fairly solid, yeah. but it's kind of also hanging on by a thread due to injuries and the fact that they're not very deep behind them. So I think Penn State's going to have opportunities to not dictate turnovers, but also, but, but in a sense, like, kind of figure out when those big plays are are presenting themselves to this defense that was kind of the threat is like going a step further beyond just getting turnovers do you work it into your offensive formula of we can not reasonably predict but we there's there's a chance we'll have uh 0.5 extra drives in this game so like does that change your idea of play calling your mentality coming into the game um, and obviously the answer is no, and that was the expect the expected answer, but just the insight into how you view a volatile team going into it, I thought was an interesting perspective for Penn State, who is analytically based, but makes decisions from a football perspective based on that information. So it was, um, you know, I agree. Yeah, you wish you could get seven turnovers and like they get zero points and four yards, uh, but you, you live in the real world and how much do they do they uh blend in analytics into their decision-making process. Can we step back in that one for a second? Like, I think people, a lot of people are under the impression that Penn State just does, like has an analytics book and reads the analytics book and goes with that. They're actually like, compared to some of the teams they play, I don't want to say anti-analytics, but they go to the analytics. It seems like a lot less than, you know, a, a, I don't want to say typical team, but a lot of teams they play, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to put that out there because it's like, I Very think there's an issue. It, and, and it's also been like this, I think, is one of the areas where 
I've seen James Franklin kind of adapt over time because yeah. I would say five years ago, maybe the the whole go for it on fourth down, be aggressive and uh, the value of punting and turning the ball over that way. He was much more aggressive and much more, I think, by the book in, in certain areas and has learned to pick his spots with that and kind of has learned the downside of the analytics and go, you know, you're not always going to be the percentage, right? That is a, that is a tapestry of every single fourth down and every single fourth down decision and context does matter. Um, especially for you, the team that make makes the decision. So I, I think that you've seen them actually shift to what you're saying is like the information is there. It's a part of the conversation, it's part of the tool, but don't rely on that as a as a guarantee or as a solid thing because it is variable, right? So just like turnovers are random, sometimes things happen that you can't control within that set of data. And I, I just I think you're right. That's a really interesting part of this conversation with James Franklin and his and his approach. And it's become the easy crutch, right? Blame the analytics. Like there, there are right. choices being made here. And, and, and I say I say that very uh, ironically, given that everything that he's done in the last couple of weeks has been questioned. But like it's always blame the analytics, blame the coach, what, whatever, whatever. I, we're we're too deep in this one, Nate. I know you've got some perspective. <laughs> I, I not on that, Dante Cephas. I, I thought that was. <laughs> That was the story. I mean, at least at least in terms of what was presented to us, right? The fact that we had not talked to him uh, for the majority of the season, uh, the fact that he was made available, and then obviously what James said about him taking strides, right? I mean, it's just been a process, right? you know. I mean, I'm I'm not sure how else to put it. I mean, it's just it's just the the notion that everyone is plug and play, and it doesn't matter right? How much time you have or, uh, the ability to, to get up acclimated and up to speed. It's just, it's just not accurate. It's not real. So, um, you know, the fact that, that Cephas was out there, certainly they felt comfortable enough to put him out there. I think it's a, a fairly strong indication of his, uh, soon to be expanded role, um, by two, two parts, right. By necessity also, yeah. uh, by, the, the, the fact that uh, they feel at least internally that he's, he's progressing somewhat. Right? I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure that it will ever match the broader conversation of what the expectations were. And so that's, that's kind of this, you know, you have this balance to play out of, okay, well, he was a top 15 guy in the transfer portal or top, you know, however, whatever the metrics were for him. And there were expectations that were attached to that, that just, they haven't materialized in terms of what he's being asked to do at Penn state. And so that yeah. was, that was the thing to take away from what Franklin said was, yeah, it's, it's different. <laughs> he was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about his previous situation, meaning Kent state. Yeah. And they, he didn't have to do complex things. And so now, now these players are being asked to do something a little bit different in that receiver room. And you, you see it throughout the room, right? I mean, you see, those things manifesting themselves and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does given this kind of new opportunity. Would you say that's kind of the story of Penn State's season so far is just inflated expectations for the offense and five-star quarterback running backs taking the next step Dante Cephas as a number one transfer in the transfer portal and then not meeting those off-season hype numbers from like a production standpoint? Uh, I think yes and no. I, it, uh, I mean, look, Drew is the elephant in the room, right? Is, is the quarterback had, uh, you know, he was Joe Montana be before the season. And I, I just, I'm not sure that was ever fair to him. And so now what he's doing and the, the way that he's performing is, uh, it's flawed as you would expect of a player of his experience but good and overall good doing a lot of things that will help you win football games. And potentially as you and I have talked multiple times this week, T Frank potentially getting better, right? Yeah. Potentially showing signs of, you know, where this could go for him. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, to me, it just feels like that's uh, a big part of the root of this, but there's, as Franklin has said, and I agree with, the pieces around him have always needed to help him. 
right? That's ha- that has always been the case is plugging a guy into that situation. You need, uh, I, you know, Trevor Lawrence is, is a, it's a good example and a bad example, right? But he had help. <laughs> he, there, yes. were, there, were, there were players around him yeah. that were spectacular. Uh, I, I think it is very fair to say that nobody offensively has been spectacular this season, right? I mean, Keandre has been good. Nick has had moments, uh, but not consistent enough. Katron has been good. Like there has been a ton yeah. of good, uh, but, but spectacular has, has just not been present uh, from this offense this season. And so that that's a little bit of what they're working with. Right, right, like just where they are in their developmental process, uh, and and needing to kind of get better from within that. You, you, I was, I had Olu on the tip of my tongue, and then I realized you're talking about skill position players. Very different story. Absolutely. Well, when we're talking I, about absolutely. Penn State's offensive MVP being the left tackle, that's kind of the yeah. story, right? Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. And he's great. Like that's not a slight on him. He's fantastic. But that's also a product of the rest of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that the two most consistent players on the team would be the tackles, given how Penn State fans felt about Cade Walls coming into the season? But, uh, but like, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, just one more thing. Like, it's there has to be context to it, right? It is harder to be spectacular when everyone's expecting you to be spectacular, not just the fan base, but yeah. defenses. Every defense that Penn State has played this season has expected Nick and Catron to be spectacular, and are preparing thusly they are they are preparing accordingly and so yeah. that that makes it that much harder uh to to be able to do and have some of the uh, the success that they had had previously night raven back always love seeing him in the chat he says because i like unhinged people who cannot be contained donating uh five pounds to the channel i love international that just makes it more fun uh, for us here on the show. Appreciate him being here. Appreciate everyone being here. Let's get into it. Let's talk about Penn State and Maryland. Guys, I'm going to start off with the theme of the show for me and the theme of everything I kind of built this idea around is you could not have two more diametrically opposed styles of play between Talia Tungavaloa, a fiery, aggressive quarterback, and Drew Aller, a cool, calm, collected, for the most part, uh, player who is refusing to do the wrong thing so this to me and going back to my question to james franklin yesterday about predicting turnovers and to me that's a huge part of this game i'll just my analysis of this game and my prediction over at bluewhiteillustrated.com is entirely based on i can't predict if penn state's going to get any turnovers so to me this looks like a close game fitz i'm coming to you from that perspective do you think penn state has the advantage of having the 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 I don't want to call him conservative, but the careful quarterback, or are they at a disadvantage because Talia Tungavaloa could just go off at any point? Yeah, I think actually I think that's the danger of this game, you know, is to like to not be too careful on Penn State side and or yeah, I mean to be too careful on Penn State side and Maryland really not having a reason to be careful. Like they're they're embracing the role that they're in and rightfully so. I mean it's been the role for forever in this rivalry. But like if you screw up and maybe it's not a pick, maybe it's not a pick six or something like that. But if you screw up, you're going to get another opportunity and they've got weapons to get it done. They've got good skill players. Like I said, the, the line should be an advantage for Penn state, but at the same time, they've got the guys that make it dangerous. Like maybe not, maybe not in a 12 round match, but like a couple of guys that could throw some haymakers in the first three rounds and really do some damage. And, Penn, and, and you know, Maryland scored 14 points in the first quarter last week. Maryland has scored, early in games Penn State has not done that and that's a situation where that that could get a little dicey for Penn State they go behind or you know they they give up a play like they gave up last weekend I mean Maryland has more firepower to deal with what Penn State's going to throw at them than Indiana did last week and we saw Indiana stick with Penn State I don't want to bring up the something that happened in January but it does have implications Caden Prather both teams wanted him he goes to Maryland talk about the receiver room uh a big win in the offseason does that I, I don't want to say one-to-one equate to a big win on the field for Maryland, but I guess that's part of the conversation here is Maryland isn't a bad football team and has been going in certain areas toe-to-toe with Penn State. The The transfer portal is a wild place. I'm not saying Penn State did anything wrong and they you know, probably did everything they could to get Prather, but that particular situation, does that weigh in your mind as well when you're, when you're getting into this game? 
only when you take into account like what Penn State's receiver room would have looked like with a guy like Prather. Prather was like going to Maryland like straight out of the portal. Like this is not a situation like there there was some you know contact with Penn State's people and Prather's people beforehand. But he went into the portal to go to Maryland to go home to he's from uh, Gaithersburg area, you know, so he wanted to go home. And that was one that was essentially done before it, it got started. Um, so, like, I don't I don't think there's like much revisionist history there, mm-hmm. but there's revisionist history because Caden Prather came to camp. You thought that he was going to Penn State and then he was and then he went to West Virginia. And, you know, it just kind of like this is a guy that Penn State fans always kind of penciled into that roster at some point. And then when he came back onto the scene, they thought, OK, maybe this is time to right the wrong of him going to West Virginia. Not that I'm not calling it wrong. But you know what I mean? Right. From um, a Penn State fan perspective, from a Penn right. State fan perspective. And he goes to Maryland right away. But like I said, like in, you know, from talking to people, West Virginia, this was one that was done before it started, you know? Gotcha. So like there, there's really not much hindsight into that one other than he's a really good player and Penn State could use him. Yeah, that's good to know because I don't think uh, that's a widely known or thought of perspective of it. It, it. That's how it played out. But, you know, everyone who wants to have an arrow in the quiver will say, well, here's another miss by James Franklin and the receiver position. And why couldn't you get it done? And you know, when it is ready to play it out on the field, I think it is important to remember all those things. Nate, it's, it's Marvin Harrison coming out of St. Joe's Prep and Ohio, and going to Ohio State because he was never entertaining the thought of of friends don't let friends convince you that Marvin Harrison was a recruiting loss for Penn State because it was <laughs> it wasn't even on the board. It was like, uh, yeah, we made some false equivalencies on the board this week, so yeah. I, I had to get that one in before we got too far away from the Ohio State game. Uh, that's kind of where where I'm at with that. But Prather was like. I mean, some of these guys, they go into the portal and they've, I don't know, they've already got their apartment. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of how this one played out. Uh, Nate, I want to come to you in a quick second, but we're, we're right on the topic. And I want to get to this because this is a good thread of conversation. Uh, Regional recruiting. This is a big game. This big game for Maryland, their season. I think their tickets are sold out or their student tickets are sold out. I am very bad at reading the details and tweets. Um, But that is something that it's clearly like between the two teams, like, this is a big game for Maryland. How much does that factor into this weekend for you from a recruiting perspective? Is this a, another opportunity for Penn State, or is this one of those situations where it's just a big opportunity for Maryland and it is what it is for Penn State? You, you're, you're, I think you addressed Nate, which it kind of threw me off here. No, um, no, he's staying with you. Yeah, he's I said I want to stay with you for a quick I thought you said I thought you said Nate, and I'm like, well, this is right up his alley, this recruiting thing. Recru- um, <laughs> this is about, you know, if you're Penn State, it's about squashing the bug. Like that, you know, we talk about like how you've got opportunities if you're an upstart program, not an upstart program. Mike Loxley's been there for a while, but like there are certain advantages that Maryland has being close closer to the cities. Um, you know, the population demographics, which makes it easier to draw, not easier to draw, but like there's there's more talent per capita in Maryland than there is in Pennsylvania. And that's just a product of like population demographics. But you have that opportunity to like sort of nip up at the dog, the big dog and give people um, give recruits the opportunity to like see the vision like this is this is a vision game for them. This is always about beating Penn State. Penn State beating Maryland is about the next game. Maryland beating Penn State is about sort of making the season. That's why they, they always get Penn State's or Penn State always gets Maryland's best shot. So like this is a very big opportunity for them. And I don't know about the student tickets. I don't know about all the the other stuff, but like this is a very big opportunity for them to showcase. It's why I think it was 2019 or when they went in there and canceled classes and did all that kind of stuff. Penn State blew them out. And that was a like a just crushed the season given how Maryland started. So that, that is, that is how Maryland views it. And Penn state has to keep that one and no mentality on the other side to view it as they do, which is retaining your spot at the top of this Northeast uh, power structure in football. So I think that's kind of how you view it. And yeah, it's an opportunity. You, you don't want to, you don't want to lose any game, but you especially don't want to lose here. You don't want to lose to Rutgers. I mean, those are the ones yeah. that, that turn into embarrassing losses. Uh, student tickets. I found the, uh, the information I was looking for in my brain. Student tickets are sold out. So, I mean, that's indicative of the, the dichotomy to, between the two teams is that, I mean, student tickets sell out in 37 seconds, you know, historically at Penn state where Maryland there's tickets available for this particular game leading into it. So Nate, I guess w- with all of those context pieces put into place around it, give us your thoughts of the game and where you are starting with, um, from the perspective of, of, Penn State's positioning going into the game, a favorite, but I don't think anyone feels super confident 
in them to blow out Maryland. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things. I think that Penn State's offense is what it is right now. And that expecting, I, I think there was something to build on from last week, but expecting a massive light bulb moment is probably unrealistic. Not probably, definitely unrealistic. Yeah. It's, it's not going to, like, like, they're not going to go off uh, for 63 points this weekend. So if you, think to yourself, okay, they're good in the mid to high twenties, right? It, the, the dynamic is really about where's Penn state's defense to me is where's Penn state's defense because Penn state's defense, I think has played with everybody this season, right? They, I mean, it, it really has not, um, has not been, uh, it's been a very good year. It's an, it's an excellent defense. However, however, and this is, um, uh, getting into some juju to a certain extent, right. Is what's happened the last two games, right? You, you've got past defenses and the back end of that defense at Penn state that has been, uh, I'm not going to say exposed, but has had a more, leaky. a little leaky has had more losses on reps than they have had for most of the rest of the season combined. Right. Yeah. What, what Marvin Harrison did for sure, but then also what Indiana did. And so I look at it as that those cornerback positions in particular are confidence positions, right? Like we, we have yep. seen what happened to Daquan Hardy last year, having a ding to his confidence, right? What, yep. what happens to those guys now in this situation against a very capable passing offense, uh, in those circumstances, I, I I don't know. I don't I don't have the answer to that. But I think that this is a game where if Maryland can get into high twenties, low thirties, Penn State's in trouble. <laughs> Legitimately, yeah. like, I, I think that's I think that's problematic for Penn State. It's just a matter of uh, you know uh, where where do you come out of the past two games? Are you energized and emboldened by the fact that? you bounce back and overcame uh you know what was undoubtedly a de demoralizing loss to Ohio State sure i think there are elements of that but also i just wonder if they're they're asking some questions in the back of their minds right now uh about just how good they might be on that defensive side of the ball uh, let's talk about a little more juju fits uh, drew aller on the road has been decidedly worse than drew aller at home um the tape says that the analytics say that the good news is there's a floor. He does not, as we have seen all year, make terrible decisions. But how much is how much are you thinking about that factoring into how you think the offense is going to perform on the road? A lot. I mean, I'm not expecting them to go out and light it up or anything like that. I mean, it's it's probably a little bit more of the same. Be careful with the young quarterback, and that has been a detriment to what the, they've tried to do overall. You think you can run, I mean, play the tape here. You think you can run on blank. You know, you think you can run on Maryland. I talked to somebody down in Maryland yesterday that, that that's the con that's the the uh, the concern there for the Maryland defense is that mm. Penn State can run. Like, not so much that they've done it, but, but that's what Maryland presents them to. And it's mm. funny to watch this entire schedule play out in, like, trends really haven't mattered that much. Like, you say, hey, they should be able to hit the big play against Northwestern. They didn't. Yep. Like, they should be able to run against Maryland. They very well may not like that's kind of how and I think that's where the, the frustration lies with the offense is like, yes, things should be there. Like and and you've seen you saw Nick Singleton run for a thousand yards last year. You saw Katron Allen play the way that he played last year. Like you've seen glimpses of it, not this year, but you've seen it to tell you in your brain that that should be what's happening. It just hasn't. I think that's the frustrating part. And then on top of that, like the. um the false sense of security when you talk about averaging 41 points a game going into Ohio State or the 30-point streak and things like that yep. is going to build that up in your mind. And then all of a sudden you look at this offense and, you know, you're taking first half unders because they've been, you know, really good, really good for uh, for for this uh, yeah. for this whole season. So uh, not that I'm taking them, but that's just been what we've experienced. So you take yeah. the points away, you take the hope away. And I think that that's been the, the string for the last couple of weeks. Um. Something that Nate and I were talking about on the message board, bring a brief part of the conversation out here uh, to the show, is that the offense is built around the running backs. And the running backs, the idea that they would be 
appreciably better this year. Unstoppable, I think, is part of the conversation where they were going to take a step from what they were last year. And I looked at the anal- I, I did a side-by-side comparison for the first eight weeks of the season, their first eight games, shockingly similar in a lot of different areas. So that's a surprise that it's not that they got worse. And I think a lot of Penn State fans are saying Nick Singleton is bigger and slower and he's heavier. Is he injured? What's wrong? And it's like, he's the same. Like the, the, the numbers say from a production standpoint, he's the same. The way they've gone about getting those numbers is different. Um, so Nate, I guess if that, the soul of the deep, the offense isn't working and the soul of the offense is not the quarterback, uh, what? How, so, how did we get here? How did we get so, here? So I want to. I just want to correct you on one thing because I sure. I do think it's an important distinction. It's not that they were going to get better, although that was expected. It's that they're the best option that okay. this team has. It right. It's it's about putting it in context. It's not. Oh well, these guys are going to go from Superman to God. <laughs> Right? Like that's not, that's not what we're talking about. It is, Hey, we know or understand what the challenges are within the offense. Okay. You understand that. I mean, look, anybody that's acting surprised about the receiver situation right now, it just wasn't paying attention. That That's the bottom line it is this has been a conversation since December of last year. Everyone knew that this was coming to a mixed degree. Everyone knew. Well, I won't say that a, a lot of people are, I at least, and maybe us here expected this from drew expected the reality of drew, not, mm-hmm. not perfect, but also not bad. Just, just good, good. And ha- having the opportunity to get better. And so, so they pointed out, I talked to Mike Yersich before the Rose bowl, and he was so direct about what was coming. And it like that whole perspective maintained through the spring into the summer. And I posted something on the message board last night. If you're a subscriber, you should absolutely check it out. It, it is Mike Yersich in June detailing exactly what this offense is, which is controlling the game. That was their whole point is control the game, get explosives as a result of what you represent in the running game. Right. Now the running game explosives have not happened this year. That hurts the passing game explosives. The passing game explosives hurt the normal running game, right? Like it all, it all. Yes. I mean, I feel like the, the, you know, what's that uh, always sunny meme. With, yeah. Right. I with mean, the, with the, uh, all the details and the, the chalk outlines and stuff like that. Like, but that's what it is. That's, that's yeah. what this is. And so they all, they all work together. And that is why, To me, and again, like, I mean, you guys are so much smarter about football than I am, but I'm picking up on cues from James Franklin when he talks about Drew needing to beat teams over the top when this is the defense that they're presenting. That's for a reason (laughs) that like that is that has to happen. That ingredient has to be there occasionally to loosen up what you're going to get in terms of looks defensively. So yeah, I I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting next four games for Penn state football. So let's get to it. Um, We have had a lengthy conversation about the offense, the defense. Let's put pen to paper guys. uh, Fitz coming to you first. What was your score prediction for the game? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this. I wrote this one this uh, yesterday morning, um, but I I have Penn State winning. I just talked to some people down there. Maryland's Maryland's on a slide right now. And again, trends don't really matter that much um, with this one, but I got Penn State 30, Maryland 17. I actually went back in this morning to see if I could bring that Penn State point total down a little bit just because (laughs) you're not confident in the offense. Like you're not confident in how it's going to look from week to week or from drive to drive, really. I mean, third downs are so like always important, but so massively important to playing the style of football that they want to do. And they just, they haven't been good at it. So I I think Penn state's going to do enough. Um, I think it's probably going to be another frustrating game, but I think they're going to be able to do enough um, and maybe force a turnover here or there. I think Daquan Hardy is going to be a a key player. Like he's become the easy answer for the guy to look to as, as a potential key player because he can make things happen on defense, special teams. And I think that the special teams will be um, once again, a, a very big part of this. And Penn State's 
special teams, like we don't really talk enough about how they've sort of stabilized over the last month or so. I wrote about Riley Thompson yesterday. Um, and he's been, he's been very good. Like he's, it, it's really interesting to see that he is averaging, I think 46 yards a punt on in the last four games, but as long as only like 52 or 54, like sometimes you, you know, you get a 70 yard roll, you know, you get a roll yeah. that, that rolls out and you, you know, fluffs that, that, that number a little bit. He has been consistently in there and Penn state is I believe 26th in the country in net punt coverage. So like those little things are the things that add up. And then when you can add a spark in the return game, Nick had a good return. Daquan's had some good returns. I think that really helps you. Falcons has been um, pretty solid. Falcons like, very close to hitting 250 yard field goals last week. And that was certainly not the book on him coming in. Like he, his numbers at Columbia, very different. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a clean hold away from, from 250 yarders last week. So I think that that, that's certainly something that comes into play. So those little things, the sudden change, the, uh, you know, bringing it back on uh, an interception, bringing it back with a punt return, things like that are going to give Penn state the opportunity because they're deeper. You know, there's, there's, there's no question there that Penn state's deeper and, and more talented. It's just, uh, can they get out of their own way on offense enough and, do we see another game where it's 10, 10 at halftime, you know, 14, 14 at halftime. I think it's going to be close. And I think Penn State's going to have an opportunity to open up, but it's going to take some, you know, going to take some splash, but going to take the, stop me if you've heard this one before, going to take them making the extra play. And that's going to go on both sides of the ball this year or this week. Nate, what about you? Uh, Yeah, I, I hate making picks. Um, I've got Penn State, I, I think 27 to 24, uh, 27, 26 sounds right. 28, 27. I mean, I just feel like it's going to be close and I feel like it screams that it's going to be close. Maryland. I, I didn't realize this. Maryland is 12th in the country in team sacks this season. Um, that is problematic. I think for, for Penn state. I, I mean, if, if, if anything has been demonstrated this season, it's that teams that can put pressure on Drew, teams that can uh, muck up the line of scrimmage, yeah. have had quite a bit of success. Um, you know, kind of keeping things under control, right? So, I, I mean, I, I just it, it's going to be. I don't know. I, I think that Penn State is going to have to. It it can't just think it's going to walk in there and because they're on paper better win this game uh, they, they are going to have to play to the level of maryland for mm-hmm. for 60 minutes uh if they want to come out with a win so i i i do think it's going to be close and i think it's going to be uh fairly interesting to see how this team responds and how they how they execute i mean again like it's just execution just can you can you go out and do the things um you know that that you're you're, you're called upon to do um yeah we're, we're going to see. It's interesting you say that about Maryland. Um, they don't have one guy that comes off the edge that is a problem. Like, they don't have a Chop Robinson. But they are deep of guys that get pressure. And they do, I think, a lot of things that Penn State struggles with at times, which is schemed up pressure, stunts and twists, and, and blitzing that can cause Penn State some problems. So I think that's a, a great shout by you, Nate, in a key matchup for this situation, going back to what Fitz said about third down. Now let's get into the questions from the Blue White Illustrated message board in today's BWI Mailbag. Off the top, first question here. Uh, This is from The Renegade. Are we seeing noticeable improvement from Dante Cephas? Guys, have you seen fits? Have you seen noticeable improvement or improvement from Dante Cephas? I, I've seen improvement, but probably not to the level of expectation. Like, I think that there's very different ways to go about this. Like, he, yes, he's had some drops, but what concerns me the most is the, the mental speed that he, of which he was playing the game was not number one, where it needed to be with the physical speed. And then the physical speed suffered because of that. And I think he's getting a little bit more comfortable and with that's going to come with reps and things like that, got on the field for a lot, uh, a lot last week, 
number one, they're going to need it. Um, number two, is it enough? I, I don't know. Like, that's the question here. And, and you could probably say that about a lot of the receivers. I, I don't like people keep asking about the the receiver rotation. I, I don't know the rhyme or reason. Now, obviously, you get Malik McLean in there, who is uh, Trey Wallace's backup after the the, uh, the injury. But like, there's been really nothing that you can look at and say, this is why they did this other than we don't see practice, you know, and that's yeah. kind of that's tough to swallow for a lot of people. Yeah, I, part of it is how do you get Keandre Lambert-Smith to be in the best possible position to succeed? And to me, that's tough because you had the plan of Don. This is my read of the situation. Dante Cephas is your Z. That is your outside receiver to the field. Keandre Lambert-Smith in the slot. Trey Wallace is your X. And they don't have a lot of X receivers. They moved uh, Dre from X to the slot to the other side of the field. That's where he was last year. So how do you go about making up for that hole? Do you move him back to his old position? Do you move him to Z? Do you, what is Cephas comfortable with? Like, those are the questions that we need to have some answers to is where is Cephas comfortable with? How do you get the most out of that other position? And do you trust Malik McLean? Because that's what we saw was basically in game. We don't have a plan. Like we're not set up to change this around right now. So it's just plug and play the next guy. Um, and what you do between the weeks, I think is going to be determined where they line up. Um, Nate, uh, let's go to you with this question. CB1994 wants to know, what is the biggest misconception about the Penn State program right now, either from the fans or the media, and why do you think it exists? Oh, man. You don't <laughs> you don't want me to talk about this. And, and we don't have enough time to talk about it. Um, I, I, I think that the, the short version is college football is built for misery across all of its fan bases and there is Dabo, no is stand what's that i said dabo is that you it, it, it is <laughs> it, it me dabo um look i i think I, I think it's real i think it's real i think that it is that if you go to an ohio state site and look at how they're talking about their team uh if ryan day does not win a national championship this year they will want him to be fired fact like yep. true that that is a sentiment that exists at Ohio state. Uh, it, it just, it's just a standard of perfect, right? I mean, he, and, and Franklin talked about it last week about how the things that make college football so great are like, you like the intensity, you want the stakes, you want all of that to be built in, but there has to be, something other than winning a national championship that can be considered good for quote unquote blue blood programs. I'm not saying elite. I'm not saying great, but there has to be something that's good. And it doesn't feel like that exists in the sport at this point. And so until they go to it, like the, the thing that I'm fascinated by is the, the notion that everyone's just going to waltz into this 12 team playoff next year as though that is, Oh, it, that's fine. That's right. You solve just, every well, and as though it's going to be easy to do so. No, it's just going to be, it's going to be just as competitive. It's just that the competitiveness will, yes, the teams that are rolling and greased up and, and absolutely on a tear right now, that will continue in a lot of ways. But also, the competitiveness of the middle has always been a very intriguing part of college football. It's not, it's not as though those. Like you, you might be able to differentiate those top four teams and say, okay, that those are the ones with the best chance of winning a, a national championship. And honestly, the argument has been made that only three teams most years really belong there. But there's still a a meaty portion of the sport that has very good teams, flawed, but very good. And so I, I just, to me, that is the misconception of Penn State football is that it's not a good program because it hasn't reached that level of success. It's a very good program. Uh, it, it is a borderline great program, great slash excellent. It just it just hasn't been able to get over the top. Uh, and so in, until they do, I get it why people are frustrated. But also it, it, there has to be some level of perspective of saying, hey, th this is also this is also very good. I, I want to bury deep underground the James Franklin quote of great to elite, but every time somebody says it, it pops into my head too. I, that's, uh, that's I'm i tired of, of hearing it, but it is, it's there. It's catchy. I mean, is it, is it, is it us that put that out there? No, that was, that yeah. was him. Like you do it, you step in. I mean, Dabo, 
made some points and then kind of, you know, went off the rails a little bit and mentioned his marriage and kids and everything like that. But he's not wrong with the expectations versus the gratitude or whatever he was saying. I mean, he's not, he's not wrong about that. I think there's people in the chat that don't enjoy watching football anymore just because of the expectation of perfection. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I've asked that philosophical question of, do you like football? If you only care about two games a year and the rest make you hurt, like it's just painful when Penn state beats Indiana. And that was kind of to get into another question a little bit early. I'm going to space it out so we don't have so much denseness here in the middle. Um, but yeah, that's that's James Franklin's point of like, you beat Indiana, that's a win. Um, this question for you, Fitz. Tin Man wants to know, who are the top three offensive tackles next year? And are they actually on the team right now? Um, you can go with Drew Shelton, Javen Williams. I think those are two of the top three. Javen's going to have to come along and have a, a strong offseason here. Of course, he came in, in in January, was able to do some nice things, but like he's obviously not at the level of the top three next year. I'm um, going to look in the portal. Uh, OT is very hard to, to recruit in the portal. The good news w uh, for Penn State is that they're not bringing back a starter in name or whatever. Like they're, they're, There's going to be like they're going to be able to show you that depth chart and show you that Olu's gone and Caden's gone. And those are two uh, open spots. Now, offensive tackles are expect uh, are expensive. They're also never as good as you think they're going to be. I bring up a Johnny Cornelius at, at Oregon. Like he came from Rhode Island, everybody offered him, and I think he was the. Uh, I, I think he's starting for them, but like he's not. Uh, he's not the guy. That he's not. He's not stepping in expecting to be Olu. Um, same thing with the guy like uh, like Blackstock, uh, who was a target. He went. He was a high level target for Penn State. Went to Michigan State, was a second-team uh, left tackle. So transfers from whatever level, like those things are not guaranteed. So you're going to have yeah. to build it up on the home front. They like what Chimney's done so far. I don't think Chimney's like – I don't think 2024 is the year for him, though they yeah. have taken him on some uh, some road trips, which is a good sign there. Um, but, yeah, offensive tackle continues to be a spot just because there's not a lot of them around. Like that's this is not a, an exclusive conversation to Penn State, but offensive tackle is a spot where you're always looking for more. Yeah, I think that's an excellent breakdown. Nate, what's up? JB's a swing guy too, right? Yeah. I mean, you could go with that, but like you're also, you know, if Sal's not back, Norzad's not back. I mean, you you've got you're you're retooling a lot, but yeah. I guess I'm saying if if one you're going or with two three tackle, is absent, he's okay. The I see third. what you're saying. Yeah. If you're going with the three tackle rotation where he's the fourth tackle this year or whatever, like yeah, I think that's certainly plausible plausible. But yeah, you gotta find something and, and continue to restock. Uh, next question, going back to you, Nate. Uh, this is, let's keep this one a little briefer. There's some other questions I want to yeah. get to, and we only have about five minutes. But James Franklin, had his thoughts. What are your thoughts about Franklin's comments last night post-practice about mixed messages of being a student athlete, valuing education, the traditional Penn State values, versus winning at all costs? What was your thought on this that I asked you to save all of those nuggets for now? I don't know. I, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this that quickly. I, I okay. I, then look, give my, us, give us your best. Give us your best. It's more important yeah, to get the best than it is. Here's to get my, something. here's my 32nd uh, spiel on it. Every first day of classes in the fall, uh, when Penn state students or Penn state football players tweet out that they're sitting in the front row of classes, everyone in the Penn state fan base goes absolutely bonkers for it. They love it. It's like the best thing in the world, which is fine. But, that quickly dissipates, right? That attitude doesn't carry over once they get into the actual season. And so it's that there is a, a speaking out of both sides of your mouth to a certain extent in terms of what you value, right? Even James Franklin and, and how he's judged as a, as a coach, um, you hear a lot of, oh, he's, he's a good guy, runs a clean program, whatever, blah, 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 right? It's like, literally that's the, the approach is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he can't win the big game, and so because he can't win the big game, he should be fired or whatever. More pressure, fine. All of those things are fine. However, like there is an underside of how little trouble they've gotten in off the field. Like the the look, we deal with these guys all the time, right? Fitz, T. Frank, uh, is there a player that that Penn State has put in front of the media over the last five years that we would be like, man? What a jerk, right? Like what a, what a clown. We, we, we don't like this guy. No, no, not at all. Like overwhelmingly the, the dudes in the Penn state football program as players are good humans, right? And so there, there's something to be said for that, 
that just gets very glossed over by the very same people who are absolutely over the moon at at seeing that first day class picture right yeah. it, it, it it's just it's just a, a little bit hypocritical um but i i get it i mean i like i said college football is a miserable culture uh, <laughs> right in, in terms of its fandom the fandom it just it gravitates toward negativity that i, I feel like other than other than te- like when minnesota was good in 2019 that was a reason for that fan base to be overjoyed when you exceed expectations. But once expectations are so high, there's nowhere to go. Nate, I want to just point this out because I just had this conversation in the chat. One of our regulars here, and I just want to, I just want this to be fair. Like you're allowed to say what you want in the chat. I don't, I have very loose as long as you're not being overly negative and ruining everyone's time. But Julius seizure here. Uh, has been one of the biggest negativity, like kind of troll borderline guys in the chat. And I just like, you're a huge bummer, but that's to your point, Nate, of like, that's... Yeah, but he likes me, so that's okay. He said right, I'm a but, goat. I, but that's fan, I, I don't that's... mind it. Keep going, Julius. Right. No, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to discourage his opinion. I'm just saying, like... It's a bummer when you're like when when you're when you're bringing up the negative option in all of these situations. But to your point, that's college football. That's what you've been treated to the whole time because everyone but one person fails, and the opportunity for success is like in the single percentage points for most programs. I I, I think that that's a fair example, and I think that's a fair conversation to have about all of this. Uh, Want to get to a couple more conversations here very quickly before the end of the show. And I always do this where it's like, oh, yeah, we got like a little and then we go like five minutes too long. But I want to do uh, this last question about the receivers buttoning up the game coming up. Which receiver with five catches or fewer so far this season has the best shot to make an impact down the stretch? Fitz, uh, what's your thought on a reserve receiver stepping up, assuming Trey Wallace is uh, out for an extended period of time? Yikes. That's a tough question. Um, I don't have that in front of me to see which ones are, have five catches or fewer. Um, I just generally a depth guy that you think can, can contribute. I mean, maybe Kate, like I thought it'd be Liam, but, um, you know, he didn't play last game, which is not great. Um, Caden had the touchdown against Ohio state, which I think probably sold people a little bit too much in terms of his progress in terms of where he's at in the general scheme of things. So like, I think that they, you know, certainly still have potential, but it's, it's tough. I mean, if you, if you read our stuff about the, uh, the young receivers on the site, I believe it was last week. Um, it was a, it was a sobering moment there. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I would like to see McLean involved, but like he's disappeared as well. I, I just, I wish I had an answer, but like yeah. you can shoot holes in any name that you bring up just because they haven't done it. They haven't shown it. Yeah, I think I, I think Caden is a good option too, given where you might have to line up Keandre. Nate, go for it. Just just real quick, uh, something that I thought was was fairly funny from James Franklin on Tuesday when he was talking about the the receiver. Right, it was like uh, the rotation of receivers, the depth of the re- receivers. We just haven't seen that, you know. Uh, and and he was like, "Hey, who knows?" Well, one, he was like, "You guys don't see practice," and then yeah. he was like. Who knows? Maybe they'll go out and they'll they'll have a breakout game and it'll be spectacular. And you'll come you'll come in here and you'll be talking about that guy and we'll be talking about him and and it'll be great. He's like, I, I really hope that that happens. With what's the 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 backside of that? The message is we've never seen this in practice. Like yeah. it doesn't exist. And so if it if it doesn't exist in practice, this notion that it's somehow going to transform into something that exists on the in, in a game. Uh, it's just like, well, you know, uh, that's why he keeps saying I'm, I try to maintain that balance where I'm saying the right things publicly while putting pressure on them privately, but also not ticking anybody off publicly. Like you, you just can't say those things. You can't do that or you alienate your team. So uh, it, it was just kind of funny to me. Like where's, K- where's Caden Saunders is a big part of the conversation. Where's Omaria? Like, where are they? They're at practice, not getting to the level that Penn State expects for them to be the best option that they want to go to at receiver. Yeah. Not not right now, yeah. right? Doesn't mean that it can't come for them. It can, but it's just not there for them right this second. Uh, Nate, we're coming right back to you. Final thoughts. Take us out. Final thoughts. is I, I think that this is a massive game for Penn State. 
that is my final thought is this, this game is huge in so many reasons. It is huge for the stat talked about last week, about eight years of losing the first or second game after the first loss of the season. It is huge for just Maryland, right. And, and what that relationship means in, in the conference, it is huge for Penn state to be able to get into Michigan next week and stay as a relevant team. Um, but, but this season can swing wildly based on what happens in this game on Saturday. Fitz, what do you got for us? Uh, for real though, take us out for real. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, yeah, it's a huge key game and this is a situation that I think this is a momentum game in terms of like down to down drive to drive. And I think Maryland has the opportunity to score points, to throw the ball around a little bit and have some success in cracking this defense. I don't think they're like a good team. Like that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at with them. I don't think they're a good team, but they do have some guys that can, can break some things. So that like, that's dangerous. Penn State's defense, of course, has to number one, make up for the loss of Chop Robinson. Not having Chop Robinson is going to be something that, that, that comes up. Um, Adisa denies Zarian. If, if Amin can go, then those, those are obviously big. Um, Zane Duran, I think is very big this week and a guy like Daquan Hardy, I think can be big this week. So I think Penn State has the ability to get it done. Absolutely. But it's, it's certainly, I don't expect that to be an easy one. We'll wrap up the week. Tomorrow, 10 a.m., five things I'm looking for. Going to be grinding some film this afternoon to bring up some interesting points to talk about. These guys have covered all of the good stuff, though. So um, please join us tomorrow. Join us on the Tailgate Show. 12.30 is the kickoff time for that. Myself and Aeneas Hawkins are going to be talking about the game, giving you a good preview of what's going to come up later in the day. And as always, thank you. Subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. We will talk to you later.